Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant, need-to-know information to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader, and for the team at all levels of the organization. Our goal is concise and relevant information because brevity signals respect. And the bookends of our podcast are always something to make you think deeper about life, about our topic, or both. And now, here's Chris Como. Hello and welcome to our first show of 2023 of TCN Talks. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Care X. Delta Care X is the title sponsor for our TCN 2023 Leadership Immersion Course and all of our TCN Talks podcasts for 2023. Delta Care X is primarily known as a national hospice PBM and a prescription mail order company. Delta Care Rx is the premier vendor of Telias Collaborative Network and they provide not only pharmaceutical care, but also niche software innovations that save their customers time, stress, and money. Thank you to Delta Care X for all the great work that they do in end of life and serious illness care. Also, our next TCN Leadership Immersion course, which I mentioned, is the first week of May. Please go to our website. This is, uh, training has been reviewed as some of the most potent and powerful leadership training in the hospice and palliative care space. Go to our teleascn.org website and look un- under courses. Also, whatever platform that you're listening to our podcast on, be sure to follow us so you don't miss any of the great episodes that we have planned for 2023, like today's episode. So I am super excited. Our guest today, first we've got Tom Kasumsis. Tom is the CEO of MPHI, the National Partnership for Healthcare and Hospice Innovation. Tom also serves as the CEO of Capital Caring Health, an organization that is serving our nation's capital and the surrounding communities. And also we have back with us again, Carol Fisher, who's the president of MPHI, again, the National Partnership for Healthcare and Hospice Innovation. Welcome, Tom and Carol, and Happy New Year to both of you. Happy New Year to you. Thank, Thank you. you for uh, having us here today. It's really, uh, really great. Yeah, I'm excited about our talk today. And so let me start, as I always do, just share a little bit about yourself. So, Tom, would you go first? Sure, Chris. Thank you. And again, Happy New Year to you and your family. I can't believe it's 2023. Well, as I said, I'm delighted to be here with you today. And, um, you know, I began my work in hospice uh, many years ago. And, 1982, I was a, a member of the small team that worked together with, at the time it was called HICFA, which is the Healthcare Financing Administration. Today that's known as CMS. But in, in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, HICFA decided that we wanted to look at the idea of hospice, bringing hospice into the United States. The original model was in the UK, and there was a lot of discussion about end of life care in the US. and how could we do a better job here of putting a model together? So I worked with uh, a small team. We developed the Medicare hospice model and we ultimately put it together and then successfully got it passed in Congress to become a permanent part of Medicare. It's a tremendously exciting opportunity that uh, I'm proud of. Well, you should be proud, Tom. When I think of the millions of people have gotten care and then I think of someone like me who's grown up now 28 years this has been the vast majority of my life's work. And so I've gotten to make a career in something that you had a part in creating. And so I've been very reflective over the holiday and thinking about cause and purpose. Thank you for you living your cause and purpose because millions of people have been impacted by it. Well, thank you. That's really, uh, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Carol? Yeah, well, you know, I've had an opportunity to work in healthcare in a variety of disciplines. and, and settings. I was uh, in not-for-profit and for-profit behavioral health care and 
I ran a large delivery system for an insurance company was responsible for primary care and urgent cares and specialty care and you know my favorite most impactful work though has been in end-of-life care I've, I've spent the last 16 17 years in end-of-life care and had the honor of serving as president and CEO of Nathan Adelson Hospice but I've been with Tom now for I yes. guess three years yes. Tom and it's just an honor it really is it's an honor to support his vision uh, and you know in my role as president for MPHI MPHI is um, an amazing organization we have close to what a hundred members Tom we're located in 35 states and in DC um, what's really impressive is we have cared our members collectively have cared for close to 65,000 patients um, each and every day uh, they employ over 30,000 people people from all walks of life whether it's nurses certified nursing assistants physicians anyone who's caring for patients and supporting their families close to 27,000 volunteers which I think is really important because when you think of that in terms of the manpower hours our members collectively have 1.3 million hours worth of donated uh, time and attention so it's just fabulous and they provide hospice our members together provide hospice to over 20 percent of medicare descendants uh in any given year so quite impressive um you know they're always doing important work our members and they're always doing what's right for patients caring for the most vulnerable so really a privilege to be in this role working with tom and, and chris thanks for having me here and happy new year yeah, to thank you, you. Also in your All right. Well, let's jump in because we really got something, two big things we want to talk about today. Um, because what you just talked about, that MPHI group, Carol, is so not reflective. And unfortunately, some of the press that has uh, been kind of gaining traction at the end of this year. So let me set the table. Um, there was a ProPublica New Yorker article that was published. The title of the article was How Hospice Became a For-Profit Hustle. And I want to read a response that really stood out to me. It was by Timothy Noah, who's a staff writer with the New Republic. I think it came out about December 9th, so towards the end of last year. And I'd love to get a reaction from both of you. So I'll try to kind of quote from it here. I might skip around a little bit. But he says, every great cause, wrote the American longshoreman and philosopher Eric Hofer, it begins with a movement and then it becomes a business and eventually degenerates into a racket. One can only imagine how appalled the conservator conservative Hofer, who died in 1983, would be to learn that this principle extended even to government-funded hospice care. As ProPublica's Ava Kaufman's article documented a shocking story last month on the industry and its abuses. Eighteen years ago, when my first wife was dying of liver cancer, she received wonderful hospice care during the last week or so of her life from a local nonprofit hospice. What I didn't know back in 2005 was that hospice was as an industry transforming itself from a reform movement into a racket. Back then, only one-third of all hospices were for-profit. Today, more than 70% are. Hospices have lately become a hot investment for private equity, which usually requires 20 to 30% return on investment. This results in this cannibalization, or these results are, are of this cannibalization are amply documented in Kaufman, Kaufman's excellent story, Aggressive Harvesting of Hospice Prospects, most valued of whom are not especially sick, dumping hospice patients before hospice's average length of stay exceeds six months, the point at which Medicare demands repayment, avoiding in most cases really serious illness seriously ill patients likely to die too soon to furnish enough desired revenue. 
Many studies have compared for-profit hospice care with non-profit hospice care. For-profit does not come off well. I asked several critics of hospice care's commercialization why Medicare consents to reimburse for-profit hospices. To my surprise, they insisted that a bright line of distinction would be unfair because there are good for-profit hospices and bad non-profit hospices. Well, of course, but only in the particular, not in the aggregate. The standard reformist response to stories like Kaufman's is to call for more inspections, more aggressive oversight. The hospices that were describing that story should lose their license, says Joan Tino, former hospice director and adjunct professor at Brown, who's a leading expert in the industry. But it would be mind-boggling, she said, if the government could legally say, I'm sorry, we're not going to pay for for-profit health care. My mind is not boggled. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are never going to be able to solve this problem through oversight alone. But this is my money, damn it, and yours. Kaufman's story made me angrier than anything I've seen in a long while. Private equity companies and other investments do not have a God-given right to buy and sell hospice like hotels on a monopoly board. People are dying, and they just want a little help getting across the river sticks. So, Tom, yeah. you want to kind of share your reaction to the, the prior article and maybe that editorial? Yeah, I think, I think two, two things I would say. One, heartbreaking, uh, what's happening, and I think the descriptions that you just read and the, the stories that we've heard are indeed heartbreaking. And for those of us who were originally part of the development of the Medicare benefit and the vision we had, to make sure that people who were dying had really the, the the very best care that they and their families could have, surrounded by loved ones, surrounded by a team of experts that would make that passing uh, peaceful and respectful. To see what's happening today, and I call it profiteering, is is absolutely outrageous and heartbreaking. Uh, it shouldn't be happening, and we've got to take steps to make sure that we. Uh, curtail and prevent that uh, into the future. You know, I'm proud to say at NPHI, and one of the reasons we founded NPHI was to bring the mission-oriented not-for-profit programs together to allow us to have a forum, an interaction, an organization that would support all of us who are devoted to the mission and the passion and the vision of caring for people at the end of life with that great respect and dignity. And for us to now observe what's going on the proliferation of for-profits that are profiteering, and I call it manipulating the system to uh, achieve those significant margins and profits um, is something that we're fighting uh, very hard right now. And we're committed to, one, making sure that the high quality hospice that we believe in continues into the future, and two, that others who are abusing it are taken out of the system. So. Tom, can you talk a little bit more? Because there were some really good data points. You guys commissioned a study by Milliman, and there were some big data points about the difference between for-profit and nonprofit. Can you highlight a couple of those? Yeah, the, the, the study that Milliman came through, there were many, many different differences that occurred. The number of visits, the uh, programs that are uh, not-for-profits were providing, the support, the care and support, the bereavement support. You know, one of the things that's happening is that um, – that the, the profiteering folks are not providing all the levels of care that were part of that are part of the Medicare hospice benefit. And the reason why, Chris, is that many of those are, are, are programs that you can't make money on, but they're the right thing to do. We actually lose money in inpatient care, in general inpatient care, 
Uh, we lose money providing bereavement services. They're not reimbursed, but we provide it for families for a year, over a year after a loved one is deceased. Those programs aren't doing that, uh, even though they're required to do it. And so the Milliman study really, really uh, described the differences and were, it was very articulate around all the levels of care, the number of visits, and the manipulation that's occurring. And if I remember correctly, and maybe it just, maybe I think it was MedPAC, that the margins for nonprofit is something like one to 5% and the for-profit's like 20 to 26%. So the government goes, well, you guys are making 13%. That's the average of two extremes, which means it's two totally different worlds. Well, and, but not only that, and you know, one of the big uh, distresses from my perspective is in general, when the government looks at that, uh, they look at an average. And so the average becomes 13 to 15%. Uh, we, we make 1% margin. Right. Uh, and so, but yet when they look at rate structures, they'll say, well, they're making 13% margins as an average. So we're not gonna give uh, any more rate uh, uh, enhancements going forward because of that. And yet, you know, 100 members of NPHI are barely able to make one to 3% margins. So it, 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 it's horrible. I was going to say, when you hear words like aggressive harvesting, uh, hot investment, I mean, it's really disheartening. You know, I, I know Tom would agree with me, and I'm sure, Chris, you agree. Anyone that works at bedside is a really amazing yes. human being. Uh, it takes a special person to care for someone at end of life. Yet, clearly, there are significant differences in the business models between for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. You know, our members, and, and certainly the Teleos members that you have reinvest if they're fortunate to have any profit they reinvest back into their employees they reinvest back into their programs and services and they do the right thing you know they're they're helping provide services that address unmet needs that aren't part necessarily of the benefit but it's the right thing to complement the hospice benefit so it's it's really definitely concerning to see what's going on right now in the hospice world and see the abuse and the fraud um, that's happening. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the, the Medicare program is financed by the taxpayer. So it's our money that's going into supporting uh, the various initiatives like the Medicare hospice benefit. When, when you look at Medicare and you look at what they consider acceptable margins for any Medicare related program, you know, three, five percent, maybe up, maybe up to six or seven or eight percent, but that's really that's really kind of the high end. When you talk about twenty-six percent margins, you're not getting there by providing all the care that we're talking about. There's no way. Yeah, I remember Tom. I think I shared this with you. Uh, my godfather, who's an amazing man, he's been a serial entrepreneur his whole life, and we hadn't seen each other since I grew up in Louisiana many, many years ago, probably thirty-five. And I got to see him in Austin, Texas, and just catching up on life and what am I doing with my life. And he automatically said, he goes, there are a lot of people passing away. That, that sounds like a great business to get in. And I'm thinking, no, that's exactly what's wrong. Yeah. And, and I'm not, he's a wonderful man. But it shows you that this kind of, oh, it's, they just look at it as a business, pers a business perspective. And 75% of our costs are staffing costs. So when you look at those margins, it's not too hard. I mean, I'm an accountant right. by trade to know, well, then that's where the big difference is, which means the people that you're putting by the bedside caring for patients and families. And unfortunately, that article really did 
highlight the worst of the worst of what you're seeing. I mean, they don't even have an office staff. They've got some guy monitoring a ring doorbell. And yeah. we're, it's not even it's not even the same realm of what MPHI members and TCM members, the beautiful care models and the challenge, which is going to be a good segue, Carol, talk about your study, is unfortunately the consumer has not been very educated to understand yeah. there is this huge difference. It's almost like you went into a car dealership and you thought you were going by a car and you just barely got a steering wheel, which right. is what this article kind of highlights. Whereas what MPHI members and TCM members have built this amazing care models, doing amazing work in their communities, which is why they're not making that margin because they're pouring it into the care models. So Chris, Carol, like you guys- say, We like to say we make our decisions at the bedside, not in the boardroom. Uh, and that's the difference, that's it. Yep, that is well said. Well, Carol, let's talk about how then we're gonna start playing offense. And so you guys commissioned a study um, it's so a study on Americans' views on the U.S. healthcare system, aging, and end-of-life care. So, what did that study find? Yeah, well, you know, Tom and I thought it was really important to commission a study that really helps us gain a better understanding of American attitudes about illness, death, the healthcare system at large. Um, yeah, and we use that information on the Hill to, to it shapes our uh, the findings. You know, shape the work we do from a policy perspective and also to support services and programs that our members develop. I wanna say we modeled this after the Kaiser Family Foundation study, which was a very successful study back in 2017. Um, so we built on their good work uh, to help us you know, with gain insights. And I just, before I talk about the findings, I just wanna mention our partners because we'd be lost without them. Uh, states serve uh, really stepped up to the plate. They funded this uh, incredible research. And then, of course, SIR and Emergence Creative worked together to conduct the survey. So to the findings, um, to your question, Chris, um, the majority of the respondents are really concerned about what's going on in our country in terms of being prepared for the age wave. 72% believe we're doing a good or do not believe that we're doing a good job caring for the aging. And you know, that's a startling result because 67% of people really feel good about the US healthcare system in general, but 29% say, hey, it's just better than fair. And so there's some opportunities here to improve. Um, I, there's a real disconnect between perceived stigma around the topic of death and individual attitudes about it. And so I wanna talk about that real quick. Most Americans, uh, where am I here? 74% uh, of Americans that took this study say that death is a subject that most people avoid, yet the vast majority are comfortable or most comfortable talking about that. And Equally important then is you take a look and 67% of the people surveyed report that they're feeling comfortable having these conversations. So there's this real disconnect uh, in what's happening today in the system. And I would say that, you know, what we're seeing is that our healthcare system, the providers, the people uh, providing care, and I'm not talking end of life, but prior to that, aren't comfortable having those conversations. And so there's just a real disconnect between um, having those conversations and Americans' willingness to have those conversations. 
So it's really interesting. You know, we are the experts. Our members, Teleos members, are experts in having these very difficult, unique, hard conversations. And uh, we've learned that, that people don't necessarily trust the healthcare system uh, when it comes to aging, but they trust us. And we saw that because hospice care is really well regarded, especially by those that are familiar with it. So almost all respondents, about 96%, had at least some uh, familiarity with the word hospice. And the more you knew about hospice, the more likely you were to refer a family member or to, to say I'm willing to um, use hospice. But you take a look at the, the trust that people have in the system, and they're not trusting people that are making money off of hospice, which goes back to the point we were yeah. talking about earlier, and that is the uh, ridiculous profiteering that's going on in hospice. You know, Carol, I hadn't had a chance to share this with you. You know, I live near Asheville, so there are some interesting things sometimes you could use. And so we used a guy that came in and did something called a constellation exercise. The executive summary is that you, it's almost like an unchoreographed play, and different people play different roles. And so we had some people play the healthcare system. So different parts of the constellation represented different parts of the healthcare system. And then we had um, Dr. Janet Bull actually was the patient and family. And you kind of go where the energy takes you. Again, I live near Asheville. But it ended up being this fascinating kind of um, illustration of what your data actually said in terms of how the constellation kept trying to rearrange itself around the patient. And the patient is so scared, so kind of mistrustful, but very scared. And, and the, what I love in what you just said is that programs like MPHI members and TCM members, we can now use this data to make a difference. And the ones the ProPublica article is talking about, they're not even in the game. They're not even in the realm of what we're talking about. So Tom, where do you think we need to go here with this study? Yeah, well, I think we need to use the study and we're so pleased to have done the study because it really gives us and arms us with the, with the information we need to move things forward. But I think NPHI is really aggressively uh, working in the policy arena. You know, there, there needs to be a lot of work done to, uh, to change the benefit, to uh, change it so that uh, the profiteering uh, not only is not allowed, but we can put measures in to change the whole dynamic to prevent it from occurring. So we're, we're really the, the voice for the future of end of life care. Uh, you know, we believe patients and families first, uh, and we believe in doing the right thing. And I think we all have very passionately decided that we can't sit by and let all of these negative things go on uh, further, that we've got to take a strong stand. So we're aggressively engaging in the policy community and the regulatory community to make sure that we take a stand and that we uh, we eliminate these abusive tactics that are going on. Well, well, guys, we're coming to the close. So, Carol, any final thoughts from you? No, I just piggyback on that. I mean, I think Tom, you said it so well. MPHI and our members were leading the dialogue really about the future of healthcare, and we're committed and we focus on this each and every day. And uh, we're passionate about ensuring that people die well and they, we only have one opportunity to make that happen. So we're committed to the cause and we uh, are not big fans of profiteering. We understand that some people need to run businesses, but our members are, are just doing a, an amazing job of balancing the business aspects that are necessary. There's some acumen involved with the heart and soul 
of the intent of that Medicare benefit that Tom founded many years ago. Well said, Carol. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well said. Tom, any final thoughts? Well, I couldn't have said it better than Carol just did. We're passionately uh, defending uh, the benefit that we developed. And the most important thing is the way we treat our families, our patients and families, and we don't get a second chance. And so we've got to make sure it's done right the first time. I uh, used to work very closely with Senator Dole, and he was a real advocate for us. And we would not have the hospice benefit if it weren't for him. He worked so tirelessly to get it passed in Congress and signed by President Reagan. But he used to say to me, you know, Tom, we need to make sure that we get this right, that we do it right, because we're going to need it for ourselves and for our own families. And I always use that standard because I think, you know, is this something I'd want my mom to have or uh, my my brother or my sister or myself? And, you know, that's the way I think I think we, we have to judge uh, the way we proceed in making sure that it's done right. Chris, I, I would like to say thank you to you as well. TCN and what you've developed has been extraordinarily important to all of us. And I think, you know, working with you and your members and each of your programs or part of NPHI as well, it's a tremendous team that really is focused on the mission. So thank you for all that you've done as well. Well, thanks for saying that, Tom. In fact, I was thinking the, the last show we had towards the end of last year before I did a couple of monologues was with Cameron Muir, so your chief innovation yeah. officer for MPHI. And Cameron and I were talking about what does the future care continuum need to look like? Right. And that's such a perfect juxtaposition because that ProPublica article, they're, they're, they're not even thinking about that sort of stuff. Right. Whereas MPHI members and TCM members, we're thinking about how we keep innovating this model to keep evolving it. And in many cases, we're ahead of reimbursement because it's the right thing to do. Right. And that's the heart and soul of the people that we get to work with. And that's what we want the community to know and the future people that are going to need this care yeah. that ask for community mission-minded, focused, nonprofit, hospice and palliative care organizations, serious illness organizations, yes. because they're just doing it a whole different way yes. than what that article is talking about. And thanks for the great work that both of you do to make sure that we're going to keep doing that far into the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, and I want to thank again Delta CareX. Tom and Carol, I know they're good friends of yours as well. Anything you want to say about Delta CareX? Well, we really value Delta Care. We work with them and they're tremendous. So thank you for their great support. Again, thanks for both of you. And as I always do, always like to close us with a quote that just makes us think about our subject a little bit deeper and just about life in general as well. And I thought this one was really good. I love DHOC and it's change is not about understanding new things or having new ideas. It's about seeing old things with new eyes and from different perspectives. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.